with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I appreciate whoever did this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll be reading verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now your blessing upon our time around your word that you would Give us grace as we deliberate over it, as we ponder it, as we think through it. We know that we have read words of life that point us to Christ, our Savior, who is our life. And so we pray now that you would take your word and open it to our understanding and to our hearts, and that you would bless us richly as we spend this time in your holy and inspired word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes it's very helpful to go back to our roots and to remember our heritage. I'm somewhat uh, removed from my family roots, lost touch with most of those with whom I grew up. However, I've received information about two events coming up in October that have made me think about that some. Uh, One of those is my 40th as I said, 40th, 40th high school class reunion. I graduated from high school in a little coal mining town in West Virginia where my daddy served as the pastor while I was that age. A little coal mining town is just about dried up, not much there anymore. Haven't been back there in years. We used to visit there some. Carol hadn't That's where we met. I say that's the only good thing I got out of West Virginia was my wife. But uh, we used to go back and visit her aunt before uh, she passed away. Haven't been back there in years. Have no contact with any of my classmates. In fact, they had to do some research, got to find me to give me some information about the reunion. I won't be able to go, but, you know, they sent a, a, a list of all the classmates, of members of the class, those that they know are still living and where they live and those who are now deceased and it was a bit nostalgic to look back over that list of names because, you know, that town and that school and those people, they're, they're part of my roots. Uh, the other is a reunion of my first cousins on my father's side. There aren't many of us. But they're getting together four or five days uh, in next month, and I am planning to go there for a night if I can work it out. I haven't seen most of them in 30 years, at least, so it'll be interesting to see them and to 
renew acquaintances with them. But even though I haven't seen them or really haven't stayed in touch with them, they are my family. Uh, they are my heritage. Hey, they are Schwanebecks. You don't meet many of those. So it should be interesting. It's those two reunions have made me think about my roots, about my heritage, and about the foundation of my life. There's a sense in which that's what the Lord's Supper does for us. It takes us back to our spiritual roots. It shows us our spiritual heritage. It reminds us of the foundation of our faith. We call ourselves here at North Point a gospel-driven church. We're not program-driven in that the program's of our church do not define who we are. We find our identity rather in the gospel, in the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And what we do in terms of programs flows out of who we are in Christ. As a church, what we try to do is keep applying the truths of the gospel to our lives. We ask lots of questions here. The questions are, what are the implications of the gospel for us today? How does the gospel impact my life? How does the gospel change me and make me a different person? How does it transform the way that I think, the way that I look at life? How does it change my values, my priorities, how I treat other people, how I view my work, how I deal with my family? The language that I use, the attitudes that I have, even the way that I view death. That's what it means to be a gospel-driven Christian and to be a part of a gospel-driven church. How do the implications of the gospel affect me? But it helps us sometimes to take a step back and to do this. To think about our spiritual foundation, to ponder our spiritual heritage, to consider our spiritual roots. In our church, once every few months, we do this. We observe this sacrament, we remind ourselves of the basics, the ABCs of the Christian faith. As we saw a couple of weeks ago when I concluded our series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, We saw the foundation is all important. It is the most important thing. And what's before you this morning is the foundation of our faith. What is here this morning represented by these elements is the most essential element of the Christian life. If you're just trying to make yourself into a better person, if you're just trying to change a few bad habits, you're just trying to, change, to live a different way apart from what is represented here on this table, then you have no firm foundation for your life. And when the storms of life come pounding against you, instead of standing firm, you will collapse. And so this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together, I want us to think about the very heart of the gospel. And to do that, I want to reflect on this passage I read earlier from 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to ask and answer the question this morning, why did Jesus die? After all, that's what this table is all about. When the table is uncovered in just a little bit, you'll see bread and you'll see juice. The bread, of course, pointing us to the body of Christ. The blood or the juice pointing us to the blood of Christ. Both of us pointing to the cross of Christ. Because it was on the cross that Christ gave his body for our sins. It was on the cross Jesus shed his blood to atone for all of our transgressions. This morning I want us to ask why. Why did he do that? And I want us to look at what Paul says here and the answers he gives us from this text this morning. And there are three. And the first is Jesus died to make us a new creation. Jesus died to make us new. To give us new life. To give us new hearts. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, Jesus says you must be born again. You must have something changed about you. You must be given new life. Notice back in verses 14 and 15, beginning with the end of verse 14. Paul says this, One died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jesus died. He gave his life that you might live, that you might have life. And in particular, that you might live no longer for yourself, focused on yourself, but that you might live your life for Him and focused on Him. You see, the death of Christ doesn't just somehow earn us a place in heaven, which it does, but it's so much more than that. The death and the resurrection of Christ impose a transforming power upon your life. And when you embrace the gospel, it's just not an intellectual ascent to some theological truths. But when you embrace Christ as your Savior, when you are gripped by the gospel, it makes you, as Paul says here, a new creation. It makes you a new person. It's a transforming experience to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. New things have come. Christ died again to give us life. He gave his life that we might have life. To be a new creation and to have new life in Christ is now to live through the power of Christ and not through our own meager efforts of our own doing. It is to live for Christ and not for ourselves. It is to live with Christ in union and fellowship with Him. And so the death of Christ changes us. Christ's death on the cross is not just some objective thing in which we believe, but it becomes a very subjective thing in that we die with Christ. We die to sin 
when we embrace Him as our Savior and we live in newness of life through the power of the resurrection. He died. He died. That we might live. And no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him. If you are in Christ today, you are a new creation. God has made all things new in your life. The old things have passed away. New desires have come. You ought to live your life for Him. And if you don't, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. Am I really in Christ? If there's something new about me, if nothing's changed in me, how can I say that I am truly in Him? Because He died. He died that we might live to make us a new creation. There's another reason given here in this text. And that is that Jesus died to reconcile us to God. The whole matter of reconciliation, you may have noticed as we read through these verses, the whole matter of reconciliation is a key focus in what Paul is saying here. Reconciliation presupposes estrangement. The only reason I would need to be reconciled with you is that if something had come between us to break our relationship with each other that would cause me to need to go to you and make things right. And you see, that's where the Bible says we are with God apart from Christ. We are estranged from Him. The Bible says we are in fact His enemies. We are such enemies and our relationship is so strange and that we are so estranged from Him that we can't fix it on our own. We can't make the problem better. We can't make it go away. What is required is a third party, someone to mediate between us, come, someone to come and reconcile us. And that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. And if you don't get that, if you don't get that by nature we are estranged from God, you'll never get the power and the wonder of the gospel. Jesus came to take away the estrangement. He came to bring you and God together in a relationship of Grace and faith and love. He came to reconcile. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who, he says, reconciled us to himself through Christ. Even though we were estranged from him, God reconciles us to himself. God took the initiative. God took, did what was necessary. He reconciled us to himself, and he does that through Christ. Look how Paul explains that in verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself doesn't mean that every man, woman, boy, girl ever lived is saved. We don't believe the Bible teaches universalism. It's the same wording Jesus used in John 3.16. God so loved the world. God loved the world. A world that was estranged and alienated from him. He loved a world that was unlovable. And God in Christ is reconciling sinners out of this world to himself. God was in Christ, he says, reconciling the world to him. And then verse 21 makes it even more clear. He made him, that is Christ, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you've ever wondered about the heart of the gospel, there it is. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's what we call the doctrine of imputation, where God takes your sin and my sin and imputes it to his son. And then he takes his son's righteousness and he imputes it to you. It's what Jerry Bridges calls the great exchange where God takes your sin and he doesn't just lay it upon his son, he imputes it to his son. To where his son took your sin, he bore your guilt, he paid your debt, he became the guilty one. He took your sin and offered himself as a sacrifice for all that you have done. Every sin, every single one. I don't know about you, but I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed of the sum of the sins Jesus took on the cross for me. Every idle thought, every lustful thought, every wicked deed, every selfish motive, Jesus took. And he took it, he bore it, not just the sin of it, but the guilt of it. God imputed your sin to His Son. But He's taken the perfect righteousness of Christ. What does Paul say? He had no sin. He is the sinless one. And He takes His righteousness and then imputes it to you and your account. So now you can stand before God. And God sees you no longer in your sin, but He sees you covered, covered now in the righteousness of His Son. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus took your sin upon Himself. He reconciles you to God. He died that you might be reconciled to Him. And then third and quickly... 
is that Jesus died to give us the ministry of reconciliation. Look with me at the end of verse 18. God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he says gave us the ministry of reconciliation. End of verse 19. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? He explains in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are the means God has given to proclaim the good news of the gospel to lost and dying people. And it is through what we say, what we do, how we explain the gospel that people are brought to faith and rescued from destruction. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that an amazing thing? God uses us to bring lost people into the kingdom. To have their eyes open, their hearts changed, new life granted. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are literally, Paul says, to appeal to them, to beg them to be reconciled to God, to the grace of Christ. But it's not just reconciliation on a vertical plane between us and God. It's also reconciliation on a horizontal plane between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no unity. There is no unity like the unity found in the body of Christ. Where we find not just our sins forgiven and ourselves reconciled to God, but we find ourselves reconciled to each other. And I know that when I sin against my brother, I can go to him and I say, Brother, forgive me, and I know he will do it. To know that even though we fail each other, we fall short of what we ought to be and ought to do. That there is grace sufficient, not just from God through Christ to us, but from God through each other to us. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, that's what this table represents. We are reconciled to God. And we are here as the body of Christ to partake of these elements. We don't only call this the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We call it a communion service, don't we? Where in a special sense we commune with Christ and Christ communes with us. We refer to it as a feast. Not a physical feast. We don't believe these elements are changed and transformed in the actual literal, literal body and blood of Christ. But we believe that Christ is present here with us in a special way. Ministering to our hearts as we feast upon Him spiritually. Reflecting on who He is and what He's done for us. We do it together as the body of Christ. We don't just commune separately, individually. We commune together. We are the body of Christ. That's why in our church we ask you to hold the elements until everyone's been served. 
That's our practice here. Not every church does that. It's not essential that you do that, but to me it reflects our unity in Christ. Not just a believer here and a believer there, but we are his body. And we share a special communion together because of our communion and our fellowship with God through what Christ has done for us. It is amazing, isn't it? We call it amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. We call it amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch. A pure wretch like me. And we just call it amazing. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. That's why Jesus died. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your love which is the gift of your Son. And I pray now as we move from this part of the service to the next, that you would bless us and we would rejoice in the fact that Christ has died to make us a new creation, to reconcile us to yourself, to give us the ministry of reconciliation ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.